0: Again, it's Mike Crawford, Young Jerks, and we have right now a candidate for U.S. Congress. Uh, she's an immigrant. She's a survivor, a former Wall Street regulator, and a mom, a mother. Uh, her name is Issan Lucky. Welcome to the show, Isan.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Very excited to be here, and sorry I couldn't be there in person.
0: Uh, we're, we're, yeah, we're, I mean, we're happy you're on the phone, but yeah, we wish you were here as well. Where are you? right now today
1: right now i'm in Hopkinton. um there's a, uh, a gathering of constituents um and the, also the democratic town committee um so i'm here to connect with folks and to uh, listen from them and um, hear about what the issues that matter to them
0: and what are some of the things they're bringing up today in Hopkinton?
1: Um, So some of the issues um, have been, you know, environmental justice Um, on the town level. People are trying to approve bike lanes. Um, And on, you know, the the federal level, they're, you know, trying to make sure that we can uh, move out of fossil fuels and uh, moving to a more, uh, renewable economy um so I'm here to pitch the green new deal uh to pitch medicare for all uh and to pitch uh universal family care
0: medicare for all that's been the huge campaign issue in the presidential election what mm-hmm. do you what do, i mean so you're totally medicare for all you're not going for uh you can join it if you want to join it crowd <laughs>
1: Yes, it's Medicare for All, uh, the universal uh, health care uh, that, you know, gives us the uh, our human right to health care with vision, dental, uh, hearing, and long-term care for the disabled community and for uh, our elderly. And that's, you know, that is not uh, just some kind of plan. That is the reality of where we need to be right now. Um, I get a lot of questions from people on, uh, well, how, how are we going to fund that? Where are we going to get the money from that? And the answer to that question is, uh, how are we going to stop uh, wasting people's lives uh, to getting sick? Uh, how are we going to stop uh, wasting uh, labor that's uh, struggling uh, in, in jobs that are not paying them well? How are we going to stop? Uh, wasting our children's health uh, to, to issues with with asthma, to, to rationing insulin, to having hospital deserts—it uh, it is, you know, the list goes long. And even even when people talk economics with me, uh, then I, you know, I ask them about what do they know about inflation? Does inflation actually reflect uh, the high cost of health care? And there was actually somebody uh, in in Hopkinson right now who, who answered that question and said no, it does not reflect the high uh, the high cost of healthcare. And she's actually somebody who works in the healthcare industry and has been working in the healthcare um, uh, world for a long time. And she, she she you know she did say that it's a very complex issue, and how are we going to you know make this transition in a careful way, and the the. The thing that I really love about um, uh, Medicare for All is the just transition for our labor. Is understanding that it's not like we're moving into uh, some kind of program where uh, you know where where all doctors are going to go uh, uh, you know out of work the next day, or where all administrators are going to go out of work next day. We're going to need all that labor, uh, and the just transition is going to be fundamental, and it actually would be more likely to make their jobs even more streamlined and, and better and more efficient. This, the system that we have right now uh, is inefficient, uh, is very complex unnecessarily, and it's wasting a lot of lives and a lot of and a, and a, a lot of uh, potential economic growth.
0: Definitely. I mean, we, we've talked to people who have lost friends, like people who have family members, they're dead because they didn't have life insurance or they couldn't you know we read stories from our friend Luke O'Neill where people die because they didn't get enough money on a Kickstarter campaign mm-hmm. it, it's it's awful people are actually the uh, what do we call that the mortality mortality rates have gone down slightly because people can't afford it people can't afford to go see a doctor my biggest nightmare is if something happens to me, I get taken out in an ambulance and they bankrupt me. I mean it's just mm-hmm. we all fear it. That's, we all fear getting sick.
1: Yes, I'm with you on that, and that's real you know i I had a, an experience where I was in a car accident, and I said, "Please don't call the ambulance, just let me go uh, and that and that's that's what happens to to a huge amount of people who you know would refuse medical care because they're worried they're going to go bankrupt, or, or people who refuse medical care because they're worried they're going to get deported. Uh, and, and the, you know, the problem with that is that it's inhumane. The system that we have right now is inhumane. And that, you know, when we talk about Medicare for All, when we talk about universal health care, of course, if, if somebody is sitting, you know, is living comfortably Financially, they don't seem to care. They're happy with their health insurance system. But they probably, first of all, don't really understand how much they're paying. And second is that we live in a country where this culture of me, me, me has gotten us to where we are now, has gotten us to having Trump as a president, to having uh, you know a corporate government, and to having people who we trust with our vote, uh, you know, stabbing us in the back and filling our voices to uh, to to pharma corporations uh, and and a for-profit healthcare system, and that needs to stop. Not not because it's economically right. It needs to stop because it's the moral obligation that we have as represent you know as um, as representatives towards the people who vote for us. And that, that is why, you know, I completely refuse to uh, take money from corporate PACs uh, or from uh, corporate lobbyists or fossil fuel executives, because I believe that if we take their money, it, then they start to become the legislators and, and then we, we would have, uh, you know, continue to have a system that, that is okay with people you know dying to the injustice of healthcare.
0: you brought up fossil fuel i, I definitely want to talk about energy because i think that's a a huge issue that doesn't get talked about maybe on the environmental side now it's getting talked about more but i just even think the average person doesn't look at it like like i i've been looking at it um uh, is weymouth part of your district that you're running for c- congress
1: uh no, it's um, I think that's close enough. Yes. Yeah. Cuz like you the, know about he's what's talking going about on the Weymouth compressor?
0: Yes, yeah, because there's this yeah. Weymouth gas compressor plant that mm-hmm. no no one in Weymouth seems to warrant and I can totally understand mm-hmm. why. It's it's very scary, not good for the mm-hmm. environment, not good for their health, but the governor mm-hmm. has allowed it. They're pushing it through. Mm -hmm. everyone seems to be against it but it's happening so i'm just wondering what 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 you would do in congress about that
1: i mean i i am totally with the people you know we should not have a compressor in weymouth i mean it's i've seen the folks who came up uh to every single environmental march uh and demanded no compressor in weymouth and i stand with them um and i also want the people from my district to understand that if the Weymouth compressor happens to, to to pass, then the next one will be in Fall River, and the next one will be in other places that are in our districts. And I, you know, this is this is the way uh, corporate greed works. Is that once they can, you know, be one set of people, then. They get to have it everywhere, and we are going to stand uh, against them we're going to stand for the moral clarity of what we do, and we're going to stand for the people of Weymouth and for the people of Fall River and of course the people of Taunton and until we get uh you know any fossil fuel uh industry uh out of our economy
0: and it's also you know beyond everyone talks about the environmental, but I also look at this, especially gas and nuclear huge safety issue i mean look what happened in lawrence everyone knows about what happened in lawrence massachusetts and andover and just this week there were more manhole covers getting blown out i think in brookline mass and it's it's gas gas there's so many gas leaks in massachusetts from these lines it scares the bejesus out i mean i really Mm -hmm. i got worried about it um and you know we've had uh, a city councilor quitting uh from cambridge and he's talking about getting rid of natural gas in the city of Cambridge and, mm-hmm. like, going forward with that plan. And do you see that happening? Like, just Massachusetts say no no more natural gas. We'll, we'll transition to electric and other things to heat our houses.
1: Well, that's, you know, that's what I, you know, why I believe so wholeheartedly in the Green New Deal is that it brings this, you know, deep infrastructural growth that. You know, we'll make sure we're not ha- dealing with, with you know, leaks, or we're dealing with you know, this falling apart infrastructure that we have from transportation to energy, and that will, we will also have you know millions of jobs created from that green jobs. We will have you know homes that are affordable. Millions of homes. I mean, the Homes Guarantee brings to the front, you know, not only making sure that. That people are, you know, out of uh, living in the streets and having their right to to housing, but also that these homes are green homes. And as we transition into that green economy, we also have to keep in mind that we don't have a lot of time, right? We have we have a decade to make sure that we transition out of fossil fuels and that we, you know, transition our economy into into a green economy and doing that with uh, with that just transition for labor. Um, so and I, and I you know I understand this you know when I talk about the green new deal it's not just from the the federal perspective it's also from the state and town level perspective which is why I've been you know connecting with communities all across Massachusetts all across the district and talking about what would it mean to them uh, to, be, to have the, the Green New Deal? How is that going to bring solutions locally? And, and an example of that, uh, you know, one is the compressor, but there's also an example, even in uh, what we see as the, the, the wealthier towns, for example, in Brookline and in Newton. In, in Brookline, we have uh, low-income housing. And over 90% of folks who live in low-income housing in Brookline are people of color, and they are living in mold mm-hmm. and and they are living in a dehumanizing condition that is unrealistic to live in in one of the richest towns in in the Commonwealth and in one of in the richest country in the world and that's where I see the partnership between our you know federal uh state and town level to make sure that we are serving the frontline communities first um that we are you know making up for the generational hurt and pain that that our you know uh concentrated uh wealth economy has has bestowed upon them and that's and that's why it's very important that we elect people who come from personal lived experiences uh, that that bring that level of understanding that this is not a me, me, me country. This is an us country where we have to um, stand in solidarity with people we don't know. And that—that that is the message that I have to, you know, everyone out there. There are those who have traditionally been voters or those who have lost faith in the, in our government to actually, you know, start to think about people you don't know. Right? It's it's not just about the the the, um, the traumas that we're surviving in our lives or that we've survived in the past. But it's also about how can we lift ourselves up in a time that is really difficult, in a time where oppressive systems are, you know, with the boot on our heads and lift ourselves up for ourselves and for people we don't know, and move collectively to make this change. You know, I'm running as uh, an everyday ordinary American, not a politician, I don't come with a Rolodex, but I do believe wholeheartedly in a people's movement that brings a ton of boots on the ground and knocks on a ton of doors and rebuilds the trust relationship in our government, by sending people who will not be uh, uh, putting their hands in in the money of corporate packs uh, and corporate lobbyists.
0: Speaking of uh, corporations and their money, two thousand eight, I was employed by a company called AIG. You, oh, um, I know, right? And, and you would not believe <laughs> um, the sleepless nights I had, because I, you know, I was a financial advisor managing thousands of. You know, customers who are doctors, nurses, custodians, janitors, teachers, police officers, and I could not sleep at night. And I actually left that job um, because you know they were lying to their shareholders. And I worked there for a little while, and I was making good money. And I, you know, realized that they changed some things that they were doing. They were asking us to do some things that I just did not agree with. And you were right at the center of this. You were a Wall Street regulator. Uh, there, well, do you do you think things have changed? Like I, I know the sins of AIG. H- have things mm-hmm. changed? If it like because we're in this boom cycle, like six years economic growth since you know Obama, you know since his presidency, we've we've been on an uptick and, uh, like I know what's going to happen eventually. I don't think it's going to happen this year, next year. You know mm. I think things look good right now, but I know mm. always it comes back around. And when it does, are these banks going to come to us and ask us for another trillion dollars?
1: I wouldn't be surprised um if they if they do and the The problem that we have is that you know and under the Obama administration, the bailout happened, and people got nothing, basically nothing right People lost their pensions, they lost their homes um People were forced into more student debt because they couldn't find a job with a with a college degree, so they went for higher degrees, and that means another hundred thousand um, dollars. People, you know, started taking, uh, you know, part time jobs here and there and adding them up to be able to pay the rent. In the meantime, housing prices went up, healthcare prices went up, and here we are. Uh, 90, you know, 90 percent, 99 percent of people being stuck uh, in this in this unjust economy. And those who actually, uh, you know, dug up the hole for us, uh, you know, they they were not held accountable. They were not. So we created a regulation to make sure that if there is another economic crisis, worse than 2008, that we will not build them out. And then when Trump took office and he, you know, found corporate Dems and corporate Republicans all in support of deregulation, then that started to happen. And my job as a regulator, as somebody who, who stood up to those giant banks day in and day out, um, started to feel diluted. It didn't have the same, uh, the same weight anymore. Our uh, say didn't have the same weight anymore. The, exist, the existence of the Fed was threatened by, by the, the, the occupant of the White House. And, and that is, you know, that actually people should be worried about that. It's, it's scary in in blatant terms it's scary that a president would would threaten the existence uh, of the federal reserve um, and and it really you know, it was clear to me that the decisions of deregulation uh you know they come from congress that's where the reg- the, the regulation uh started and that's where deregulation started and because a lot of people now are thinking about this economic growth since since uh, since the financial crisis and thinking that the economy is doing well. The economy is not doing well. We are on the verge of a recession. Uh, and we should really understand that if we are in a country where people are working two and three jobs and not being able to pay the rent, not being able to get to a hospital, uh, we are not living in a uh in a growing economy we are living in an abusive economy and that needs to stop and i i'm 100 percent sure that we can stop it uh if we have a people's government not a corporate government
0: an abusive economy that's that that makes so much sense to me i think you should use that everywhere i think because we get it (laughs) like it's who's the economy good for right now it's Supposedly been good for the last couple of years, but it's only been good for like the top one one thousand percent. It's just it's true. Okay.
1: Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I mean even but when our I, wages I, go I, up,
0: it they cannot keep up with healthcare, housing. I mean, it's just not comparable.
1: Yeah, wages wages are stagnant. Uh but I have to I have to hop off uh, one last question, please.
0: Yeah, I wanna ask you about cannabis because that's a big one federally and there's a bill before the, you know, Congress right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you support legalization of cannabis?
1: Absolutely. No questions asked on that. Like, it's, it, it is mind-numbing to hear anybody who's against that. Um, you know that, our, uh, that we need criminal justice reform. And when, I, you know, when we talk about cannabis, we're talking about sending people, primarily people of color, black people to jail okay teenagers uh anyone being sent to jail because they uh, smoke to join i mean that that is insane because once people go to jail in this system their life is pretty much over yeah that's it there's no future you have a mark on your file and you're done um and and that harms the person harms everyone it harms everyone around them it you know rips families apart uh, rips communities apart and is racist um so i you know i again like i'm not i'm not just running to vote on issues that make sense yeah, i'm definitely. running to build yes. i'm running to be the one pushing yeah. for the issues that, that matter most to, to the people uh, and to build coalition in Congress and on the ground in my district and in the Commonwealth to make sure that not only our voices are heard, not only that we have uh, a freaking seat at the table, to make sure that we are the ones who are making the decisions and we put the power back into the people's hands.
0: Awesome. and I, I see that, too. We're watching you on Twitter and Facebook, what you're doing. It reminds me a lot of Ayanna. We had her on, um, you know, so many issues that she was the same on, with Capuano, but it was about the leadership and building the movement more than anything else. And I was like, you know what? I love Michael Capuano. I've been friends with him a long time, but I, we endorsed Diana for that very mm-hmm. reason. And it, it to me, it makes so much sense. So I want to thank you for spending time with us. Um, just to, you know, about the voting issue, because there's uh, one gentleman who always calls into the, the show and about the cannabis issue and it's about uh, criminal justice reform. On the federal level, he has a felony. for He was a firefighter, a Boston firefighter. He got caught growing cannabis. Uh, they decided to make him an example because Boston Fire doesn't t- drug test their employees. So the feds basically made him an mm-hmm. example. He's got a federal felony. Um, you know, it's all been settled. You know, he's out of jail. He's 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 doing well, he's got a family, but that mark, that felony conviction still hurts him federally. There's no chance of, you know, there's not what we have here. We don't have a quarry reform on the state level. We mm-hmm. have that on the state mm-hmm. level, but would you uh, would you support that like expungement for like federal felonies, especially for cannabis, for instance?
1: Yes. I mean, I I really, you know, I think that uh the criminal justice system that we have needs deep reform, and I do see, you know, I see many voices that are standing up for folks like your friend what what's his name?
0: Um Oh my God! I'm dropping his name, Sean Bertie. Thank you, Sean. Sean is his yeah, name.
1: Yeah, Sean. And and you know, I think that we've definitely, you know, our our system has caused so much harm uh, to his life, um, and that and that's something that we need to repair.
0: Thank you so much for spending time with us today. We we definitely would love to have you back in studio next time. Um, so absolutely. And we wish you the best. And uh, we're we're loving your campaign. Uh, You're running again. It's Which district is it?
1: So this is in District 4. It's from Fall River to Brookline. Um, And uh, if you want to check out more information on my website, it's assan.org, I-H-S-S-A-N-E.org. And I just want to put out there that, you know, when we run uh, movement-building, people-powered campaigns, that come from insurgents who are not from the democratic establishment, uh, and 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 who are running to make sure that our democratic party is one that runs on on moral c- clarity. Um, we also rely on uh, donations from everywhere, uh, small dollar donations. We rely on people to volunteer for us and to put boots on the ground. Um, and that's, that's the way we can win. We need to front load uh, our campaign so that we can, you know, this is a marathon, not a race. And you're not going to see me, you know, raising a ton of money like, uh, like many other candidates who come with Rolodex, but I do rely on folks uh, who want to see people like me in Congress and who want to build this movement with me uh, to go on my website now and uh, send out any donation that they can afford.
0: Thank you so much. It's Ahsan uh, Leckie, running for U.S. Congress District 4. Uh, she's also on Facebook and Twitter at Ahsan for Congress on Facebook. Thank you so much for calling in.
1: Thank you for having me. See you soon.
0: You too. Bye now. Okay, bye. We're the Young Jerks. That was Ahsan uh, Lecky running for U.S. Congress District 4. That's Joe Kennedy's seat, who is uh, going to be running, he is running for U.S. Senate against Ed Markey. So that's going to be an open seat. She could definitely win. She is definitely a contender. And I I really like what she said. She's building a movement. I love, you notice that we we have those candidates a lot now, Uh, from Julia, uh, you know, Mejia, to uh, Ayanna Presley and Rachel Rollins. I mean, you can see this movement, and usually it is. It's uh, women. It's women. And a lot of times they're immigrants. Sometimes they're uh, people of color. But uh, they have diverse experience. She does. I, I, she's, you know, we didn't even mention some of the other things she's done. Uh, she's an educator, a teacher. I really like her. I, I hope she does well and uh, we're hoping to have her back on the show. We're also taking your phone calls today, 617-702-2542. If you want to call in, uh, you have any comments on the interview with uh, Isan Lecky? If you want to mention, you know, leave her a message or any feedback. Uh, maybe you have some potential questions for her when she does come back on the show. Uh, we also wanted to mention Friday night. We uh, we were, I was there uh, at the, what do we call this? It was the, I want to make sure I get it right. It's uh, Drop the Suit. It was the boycott uh, of revolutionary clinics. It was a an event that Joe Gilmore uh, from uh, MRCC, Mass Recreational Cannabis Consumers, uh, the coalition there, and uh, our friend Grant Smith, I'm, I'm missing everyone's name. I can't even remember Grant Smith's name today. I don't know what's wrong with me. It's probably because it's freezing in here, but we're, well, we're, like, good. Me and Murphy have, like, MacGyvered the windows. Like, we have windows in our studio that won't close. So we're, we're, we're dealing with all kinds of things, but it doesn't matter. Murphy and I are good. We got tons of weed. I forgot to tell Murphy he's got a free... Uh, santa santa cannabis came by and it gave murphy a present we have a Mur- uh cannabis present for murphy today awesome yeah. awesome so we're giving away some free cannabis but uh about this event friday night it was about i'm dropping my phone now it's about a lawsuit that revolution and clinics has filed against the city of cambridge and the reason they're doing this is because economic empowerment and social equity are getting a chance to open in Cambridge. It's just not going to be big cannabis that gets open right away. They have to wait two years and allow economic empowerment applicants to open. And they're upset. So they're suing the city of Cambridge, a bunch of uh, economic empowerment, uh, black folks, young people, applicants from across the state, advocates, people from Connecticut came. I mean, it was a good turnout. I gave away a lot of cannabis uh, from that i that I had been gifted from santa cannabis santa, santa canna yeah he's the best i gotta i gotta shout out santa cannabis he's got uh i especially like the white widow he, he gave us two strains the white widow and the silver haze uh i like them both but uh i think a pineapple with the silver haze or something like that i can't remember but i really like the white widow he has this white widow ooh, ooh, ooh. the buds are so nice So we got a bunch of white widow gifted to us, which were given out to patients. Uh, We were also giving it away at last Friday night. But again, uh, we're talking about Friday night. Big cannabis is upset. They're not happy. They're suing. And we're saying F you to big cannabis, seriously, because they used us. They used Mm. us to open. They used this show. Big cannabis, um, we, we introduced them to all the city councilors in Cambridge, and then now they don't care about us patients now they want to go recreational and uh you know they paid big money for lobbyists they've done a lot of shady things that have been noted and a lot of us aren't happy so we're we're boycotting or asking other people to boycott we have a phone call let's see who's on the phone
2: mike it's grant i heard you mentioning friday night so i had to call in
0: yes did you hear the interview too this, yes, I listened to the whole thing. She is really a passionate and very informed speaker. Did you like her cannabis
2: answers? Yes, I uh, I really liked how she was willing to explore expungement on a federal level. I think that's crucial for people like Sean and
0: otherwise. Yeah, I do too. And I liked how she asked his name. Put me on the spot. Mm-hmm. I almost forgot it. So uh, go ahead about Friday night. Cause I, <laughs> as you can see, I, I needed some help. I was hoping you would call, actually. <laughs> I'm glad I could be of assistance.
2: No, it was really it was an awesome event. You know, we uh, big thank you to MRCC and the Democracy Center for facilitating it. Um, the the lawsuit is on behalf of these medical dispensaries seeking to stop a priority period for equity applicants. So um, there was actually big movement in the case this week. Uh, the dispensaries had applied for a preliminary injunction to stop the period right now. And the judge denied their request, so that was that was huge. And the event ended up being almost a celebration of that, so
0: it was excellent. And we had uh, Cambridge City Council Quinton uh, Zondervan, who spoke as well. He's awesome, I love him, who was the author of that ordinance. Um, and it's the first, definitely the first in the state, but probably like the first in the nation, kind of, you know, for a city to set something like this up.
2: Yeah, first in the nation priority period, and um, it's actually becoming a model for other cities. Just two weeks ago,
0: Waltham passed their equity ordinance, which had a very similar priority period. It's amazing. So it is, and Boston it's, did something. Boston didn't do the same, but, you know, definitely I think Boston was influenced as well by it. Um, I want to thank you, too, because uh, you gave me an introduction at this. You know, I got to speak at this, and I... Uh, I really enjoyed it. Number one, I want to thank you for uh, including me, Grant, and it was it was a it was a good group of people. I really enjoyed what you guys put together. Uh, I liked all the speeches, and uh, I want to thank you personally because you gave me an introduction. Like you know, I've I've done a lot of shows in the past and media and stuff. No one ever gets it right. You like really did. You like I felt good. I was like, oh my god, like thank you, thank you for uh, giving me a good introdu- uh, introduction there, Grant.
2: Well, it's very kind to of you mike i was really honored to be able to provide that introduction and you know um, with you being there you you don't attend a lot of events so it was really an honor for us to have you speaking um we had a great lineup and i thought you provided a perspective that oftentimes gets lost which is that of the medical patients and the people who actually fought to get
0: those dispensaries into Cambridge, because those are the people who are being left behind. So it was really important. It's funny how they wanted us there. They, you know, it, it feels like yeah, it feels like we've been used. You know, it's like it's like we're not good enough to serve anymore. Too that's the other thing that really gets me going about the whole thing. It's like they act like two years they can't wait to get to the wreck, and it's like you have the next two years to get your crap together for medical patients, which you haven't done yet.
2: Yeah, what really just brings it home for me is I wouldn't doubt that they've probably spent more money fighting the
0: ordinance and fighting this lawsuit than they would have lost over the two years as well. Right. And imagine if they had spent that money on actually helping patients. How about doing what I, what we did on Friday night, which was give free cannabis away to people? Like, honestly, and it's so often the times like, you know, I have uh, Santa cannabis that hooked us up, which I love. But other times I, I'm... Going and, and purchasing cannabis and giving it to some of my friends that don't have it on a regular basis, because I know that they're without. And why aren't dispensaries doing that? And some will say, "Well, you can't gift by law." Yeah, they can. They can. They can sell it for a penny. They can. You know, there's so much more that they could be doing to help patients, but they're not. Oh, n- not just that, Mike.
2: One of the small changes that actually had a big impact during the last regulatory round, the restriction on medical dispensaries giving out free
0: and discounted products was removed right so they can do that they can do that they've always been able to give discounts and they a lot of them do and i know they'll bring that up but they could be doing a lot more and if people don't believe me go up to the state of maine i mention this all the time but go check out the prices in maine and tell me that we can't do better in massachusetts and then look at the quality of the product it's night and day not just that, but right here in Massachusetts, um, there are
2: some amazing people who are, even though they're going through hell, they still give away free cannabis they do. to patients. Yep. And that ju- that just shows that the grassroots community, even though they're being screwed by this current regulatory monopoly, that that's the heart and soul and that was, of the cannabis yeah. industry.
0: And that was part of my message the other night, too, and that some other people, too, that spoke, because we see this. Like, I see the... the you know, for a while, I was kind of a negative on that. I didn't, I didn't believe in it, honestly. But over the last year, I've really seen the power of that. And especially since we have six to 12 plants anyone can grow, it, it does make a big difference. It's not going to solve the problem. It's not going to help us all the way. But some people, it, it helps a lot. And it, and it makes a difference. And the fact is that the community that can't get open... Is helping more than the people with million-dollar dispensaries that are already open that's sad that is that's an indictment
2: it's a reflection of the fact that corporate cannabis big cannabis they're very good at saying the right things but when the chips are down when it comes to patient access it's always going to be about their profits first
0: absolutely especially when you're trading on the Canadian stock exchange is uh, Revolutionary Clinics one of those companies that is internationally owned? Uh, so I cannot answer that definitively, so I I, I don't I don't
2: believe they are. Okay. Uh, the company you're talking about uh, used Sarah. to be called, uh, yeah, it's called Sierra Naturals, the local company, but the parent company used to be called Cannabis Strategies Acquisitions Corporation, but they just changed their name to
0: AYR. And they are a one billion dollar company listed on the Canadian Exchange. I love how you said not not. I'm not I'm not sure because ooh, that's the thing with this cannabis field now. Uh, things change so quickly, and uh, sometimes they don't announce it. Sometimes they keep it secret because, you know, there's there is reasons why they need to keep it secret because of licensing and uh, whether or not they can change ownership so easily. It's a very interesting uh, thing that's going on. You know, one of your speakers mentioned too, which I really was really interested in was about cure how they were owned by like one of the uh russian or ukrainian oligarchs it's like uh, vladimir putin has his own uh cannabis chain it seems like right
2: well do you want to know what's wild about that um and i didn't bring it up at the event because it, it was a little bit of an aside but that firm i think lev parnas that's right you know this guy oh, yeah. who's uh, connected to giuliani. giuliani
0: yeah that it's and, all and over
2: trump he has pictures with trump as well He apparently was involved with that somehow, which I just think shows how shady it all is.
0: So those are the guys that are involved in the impeachment. You know, they're the guys that Giuliani has been hanging out with, and they're some of the guys that are going to jail. They've been federally indicted. I think uh, the gentleman you mentioned has been. Lev Parnas
2: and Igor Fruman
0: are their names. That's right. Grant, I want to thank you for calling in. Um, So tell us more about Friday night, because that's what we started on. Um, I mean, you must be happy. There was a good turnout.
2: Yeah, it was a great turnout. We definitely filled the room. Uh, We had a bunch of people watching uh, online as well. Um, We have to give a lot of credit to the production crew and everyone who was involved with the event, Um, really at the core of it. The point of the event was to start a conversation about how to let big cannabis know going forward that the community will call them out for putting their profits above equity, because one of the things that was really egregious about this lawsuit is these dispensaries wanted a judge to rule that equity priority periods would not should not be allowed statewide unless rmds are also allowed in the period so that that the fact that the injunction wasn't issued and the fact that hopefully Cambridge will win this lawsuit is actually a mechanism to get these priority periods statewide so the fact that these dispensaries, one, think that they're on a level playing field with people who were directly impacted by the war on drugs and two that they should be entitled to take up slots in the priority queue from those people makes me think that they need a message sent to them by way of a boycott and that's something we're going to explore going forward how to stand outside Rev Clinics, CIRA and any other corporate RMD to give away cannabis, to let people know about what these companies have been doing and to hopefully show them that the market has a voice and won't stand for this kind of behavior.
0: And we're the Young Jerks and uh, we're speaking to Grant Smith, he's on the telephone uh, line. Uh, we're speaking about a, an event that happened this Friday night in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where um, Joe Gilmore, Grant Smith, and a bunch of us uh, gathered to you know, express our displeasure right now. We're not happy about what Revolutionary Clinics is doing. Uh, we're not going away. And for me, I, I have a long memory on this stuff, and I think it really will backfire on them when there is competition and people have a ch- real choice.
2: There's no doubt about that. They, I'm sure everyone realizes this by now, but they have a de facto market monopoly. And, Mike, I think you'll remember, what was it, two or three years ago, when you were interviewing one of the co-chairs of the Senate committee that was drafting the language of Question 4 as they were editing it, I called in and I said to her, I'm really worried that this market is going to be bought by these big companies and consolidated into a monopoly. And her response to that was, that vigilance is the, uh, eternal vigilance is the price of our democracy. And so it's because of people like yourself and Joe and others that we've been able to keep an eye on these companies and I think that keeps them in check.
0: And yourself, definitely. Oh, very kind of you. You do a lot of work. Um, I also want to mention the vape ban today. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of news on the vape ban from DPH uh, and especially Commissioner Shaleen Title she's been really on it and making sure that uh we get the public and, and the cannabis control commission especially gets the information from the department of public health about uh, supposedly tainted vapes um, and i say tainted with the uh, exclamation point fingers here because i mean it definitely seems like there are some tainted vapes with the vitamin e but it seems like the government has exaggerated where the the sourcing, I, I mean, I think it seems like what we all thought from the very beginning, the illicit market, the knockoff brands, the dank vapes that we talk about. Seems like there really wasn't uh, much of a problem with the legal regulated market. Uh, but now the governor's office, the DPH, they flip flop every day and they what, what's your what, what's your take at this point? And, and do you want to give us an update on that?
2: Yeah, so there was a really interesting um, update this week uh, that caused a lot of confusion. Uh, Like you said, there was some flip-flopping. So uh, I think it was on Thursday, maybe Wednesday night, the DPH released some data, um, and I I got it uh, from, I saw it from uh, Dan Adams at The Globe on Twitter, so I want to give him some credit for getting the information out there. But so they released their the, this data that they'd been kind of hiding, but they didn't really release all of it. They released a one-page summary showing uh, where patients had reported getting vapes that then caused lung illness. And for the first time, there was an indication that six probable cases of lung-related injury caused by vape may have been from Uh, dispensary. Uh, Now, there's no confirmation directly, but on the side of the DPH sheet, there was a brand called Rhythm Cannabis listed. Now, it was spelled uh, differently than the brand that's carried at uh, dispensaries. So with that as kind of a a warning, uh, it does seem that at least some cases, according to the original DPH numbers, came from a dispensary.
0: Then It would have been nice to know that like months ago. I mean, people probably have those the, those in there, you know, like I do. I, I mean, I'm not sure what I'm saying I have that one, but you know, I have a draw full of those things. I, I, I mean, they should have told us months ago. I, I'm just confused why it took so long and so much prodding to get that information from them.
2: And that's why the clarity on this is so important because patients may have these products out there. So then, 24 hours later, they caused even more confusion by saying that at least one, but not necessarily only one, of the six cases that had reported purchasing a regulated product may have also used an unregulated product. Mm-hmm. And, now, and, I've, I've heard... Yeah, sorry, go
0: ahead. No, it, you know, it's weird, too, because, you know, the other question that a lot of us have, with so few cases, where they are saying six cases, right? I mean, what are the chances that... You know, and you said one of them used another product, so really it's five cases. So let's say the five cases, what are the chances they're either lying um, and, and, and the chance that they're lying because they don't want to get in trouble? They think they'll get in trouble if it turns out they used an illicit product. Or number two, they don't want their plug to get in trouble. They're, they're afraid that they'll uh, get someone they know in jail, arrested, in trouble. Or maybe it's a real bad guy and they're afraid of them. Mm. I mean, this is, right? So, I mean, what are the chances we don't know yep. if those five cases are real, so go ahead, I'm sorry.
2: No, no, I, I was just going to say, I've, I've heard a few different theories, just like you were saying, as to, you know, whether those six cases are even legitimate. Um, but the, the there is something funky going on, and I think this is actually newsworthy, so probably worthy of including in the discussion. The the DPH was asked for these numbers by the Cannabis Control Commission. Uh, both Chairman Hoffman and Commissioner Title actually went to the DPH and testified in public. Yeah, in not
0: public. Only in public. Yeah, not only did they in public because in privately they would not get answered, so they didn't publicly, which is uh, is shocking. Okay. Yeah, because normally state agencies will
2: send letters to each other asking for that kind of thing. It's it's very very interesting to see them publicly testifying like that.
0: And, and basically and, the their whole testimony is, please give us the information. We need this information. We're the ones who have to decide. Give us the information. That's, I mean, that was their testimony. That was it, really. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what the two of them did. Yeah, and so that was two weeks ago.
2: And then they get the data, you know, this week. And the part that was released was not the full data. The full data uh, is more comprehensive, and it goes into the, the details. But to get that data... According to uh, what Commissioner Title said on Twitter, the, the CCC had to sign a non-disclosure agreement.
0: Unbelievable. I mean, what is this, like corporation time? I mean, I didn't think, besides Trump, I, I never heard of anyone in the government being forced by another government employee to sign a, a non-disclosure agreement. I mean, this is that, that's insane. I, I, I don't even know if a court would uphold that.
2: Well, and it goes to another point um, that I saw a few different people making today, which is that the DPH is a public institution funded by public money engaging in public research on behalf of the public. And so... If For them, without any explanation at all, to assert this kind of weird secrecy over, this, over these numbers, I don't know what they're trying to hide. I've heard some people speculate that they're trying to cover up uh, you know, which specific dispensaries may have sold tainted products. I've heard other people speculate that in, it's just Charlie Baker trying to shut down the entire vape market. But no matter what it is, I think think it's, I think it's,
0: I'm going to give my opinion. I think it's because Governor Baker screwed up. He screwed up and DPH screwed up and they know it and they know they look like crap. And Governor Baker, he went on um, another podcast or no, actually talked to a reporter, Bruce Mall, And, you know, basically he was complaining to Bruce, like, I I thought everyone was going to jump on, like, he's surprised that other states didn't pass a ban like he did. He was, tr- he was totally shocked by it. no one followed his hair, his hair uh, brand, whatever you call that, his silly move of, of doing a blanket band. Like I, I hairbrained. Yeah, hairbrained. Thank you. I, I think that he, he is uh, embarrassed. I think that he knows he looks like a fool now. And if this information gets out that it was, a you know, all illicit and you've basically forced everyone to go to the illicit, I think he just looks really bad. I think it's that simple. The best theory I've heard. I think it's that simple.
2: The best theory I've heard, without question, I think, uh, whatever it is, they're trying to hide something, and that, I think, needs a lot more coverage, so I'm sure
0: you'll be paying close attention as we go forward, as I will be. I'm sure. I'm sure there'll be more coverage, too. The Globe is all over it. They've been asking for the information. Dan uh, Adams and Naomi Martin have been asking uh, for this information for weeks and months. And it's so funny to me to watch this because I I knew this was going to happen. I predicted this. I was like, these if you watch the first Midnight Mass story uh, we wrote about the vape bands, it was about someone from DPH actually shooting his mouth off to us on Facebook. It was the first time someone had actually commented to us from DPH on the record. And he didn't even, it was hilarious because for years they never answer us. I even had um, a DPH they, they hired one of my editor's friends to run the DPH communications at one point. And hmm. he, he reached out to me and was like, oh, I heard you've been hammering us and I want to talk to you. And guess what? Never talked to me on the record. And even hmm. when I went back to him, he was like, well, I'm not working here anymore. Or I'm working, you know, somewhere else in the DPH. Talk to this person. Never, They never, ever respond. Never.
2: Well, I was going to actually say, you're one of the p- few people who actually has a lo- lot of insight into the DPH because you, uh, when the medical law was first passed, there was no CCC, right? right. It was just the DPH. It was just and the you, DPH. Saw, you saw the
0: inner workings of it, and it was not pretty. No, they laughed at us. They laughed at us when we protested the first time. They laughed at us when Mickey Martin did the protest. I mean, they've been laughing at patients the whole time. They were in the windows laughing at us when we did our patient protest with people huh. who have since died. I mean, you know, I hate DPH. I think they're the worst government. They, they are, I don't believe they're a department of public health. I think they are a, 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 a department of public politicking. That's what I think they are. I think they, they are a political arm of the governor of Massachusetts. They work for Governor Deval Patrick and now they work for Governor Charlie Baker. And it's so funny, that person uh, on DPH that shot their mouth off to me on Facebook he said that I, I report to the governor like he like he doesn't report to the people. He doesn't have to answer the press. It's, I just report to the governor. I, I think that's their attitude over there. It's almost like the Department of Public Harm. Yeah, pretty much. Whatever Charlie needs, we'll do. Well, the fix is in. But I, I but, think they know, all look like crap. I think this is not going to end well for them either.
2: It speaks to one really important thing, though, which, uh, funny enough, also goes back to that interview you did with uh, Senator Jalen all those years ago. She said that they were actually worried about any one government official being anti-cannabis and exerting too much influence on the CCC. So, as you know, they designed this tripartite appointment authority where it's the governor, the treasurer, and the attorney general. And although right now all three of those uh, uh, positions are filled by prohibitionists, the reality is the CCC has been a lot better than the DPH was as to listening to patients, changing their regulations, and actually having a heart. And I think the lawmakers who created that oversight deserve a lot, a lot of credit for that.
0: I agree. And, and uh, it's gonna be, you know what's going to be really interesting, too, is what happens when their terms are up. Because the Cannabis Control Commission, their terms are up, I think, in the next, like, seven months or something like that, Right
2: it's staggered so um they were appointed in a way where some of the some of the commissioners have a term that ends i think in 2021 and then some of the other ones end a few years later but yeah it's coming up soon
0: it's going to be interesting to see what happens i mean i i I hope that we as a cannabis community get behind some candidates and and get them you know anyone if you know if i think we should start talking about this too and i'll put it out there like if if, if anyone needs help, like if we have someone like Grant, you know, someone mentioned yourself, Grant, that you should be on the Cannabis Control Commission. I don't know if you're capable. I don't want to put that on you. But if, if someone like yourself wants to run, you know, for the, you can't really run, but you want to get appointed to the Cannabis Control Commission, let's work on that. Because basically, you know what it takes. You got to get, got to get a Pat, Pat, Patricia Jalen or Jamie Eldridge or somebody like that who's in office right now to write a letter to the governor vouching for you. And that's what we need to do as a community right now, is find out who the right people are to put them on this Cannabis Control Commission to make it better, because you know what? Big Cannabis is doing this right now. They're already they're already giving politicians money to put their guy on that Cannabis Control Commission. Guarantee you. So we gotta be a couple mm. steps ahead. And, and you know, this show, we have political connections. We'll, we'll, <laughs> We'll try to make it happen if someone, you know, is on the right side like yourself or someone else that the community trusts. Let's make it happen. You know, let's start thinking like that.
2: Well, I'm very humbled uh, that my my name would even be included in that discussion. Um, That is the kind of thing where that position and the way people are appointed to it, I think it's important for people to understand it no matter who is appointed because As you say, that's how to ensure that the right people end up on the Cannabis Control Commission. Um, And for that reason, um, no matter who ends up there, I think it's a great conversation to start as soon as possible. So I'm glad that uh, you brought it up, Mike, and I'm sure you're going to go forward with it. uh, Because at the end of the day, even though there are prohibitionists in office, like you said, if there's enough public pressure, they will appoint someone. And I think Commissioner Title who has been an absolute champion of equity, fairness and inclusion in this market and integrity from the day she was appointed is a testament to the fact that you can have an influence on that process.
0: And I think we should also campaign to uh, get her reappointed, ask her, beg her (laughs) to do it again. I I don't know if she wants to. I, I I, I haven't talked to her about this. I just have a sneaky feeling that, uh, she, you know, it's just probably me worrying, but I think we're going to lose her, and uh, I don't know, I think people, sh- I, I, I think that the community, if you really want her to stick around, you should tell her, you got to express it to her, but I also think that uh, we should be contacting the elected officials and say, we want to make sure Shaleen, if she wants to, stays, you know, gets reappointed.
2: Oh, I think that's very important. Um, I, I think it's certainly up to Commissioner Title. Um, at the end of the day, if she does want to get reappointed, I think that her work has affected in a positive way so many different people uh, that she has the kind of groundswell of, of public support that really could get her reappointed. At the Boston City Equity Hearing, for example, they were referencing uh, people who had, had really helped the community during the process. And when chalene's name was mentioned, the room broke into applause, nearly a standing ovation. So
0: Yeah, seriously. Like... You know, I've mentioned her for governor before and some people scoffed like, Oh, she should run for state senator for state rep or whatever. And it's like, wait, you know, no. <laughs> like like we went from Ayanna Boston City Council to Congress. We don't have to wait anymore. Like I, I think uh Chalene can do pretty much whatever she wants for, for the future. Um, her 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 roof is You know there is no roof to it you know what i mean and and it's good to see that uh a lot of people are recognizing it she's helped so many, like you said she's helped so many people locally and nationally
2: yeah even this weekend she was at the minority cannabis business association uh event uh in new york uh and she's constantly either informing the community working on behalf of the community listening to the community uh it, it's really she's almost like if i could paint an image of an ideal uh, either public official or elected official it would be commissioner title i didn't even think that it was possible for someone like that to exist in public life right so it's almost refreshing it gives me kind of a renewed sense in the integrity of the process to see her doing her thing and
0: i'm just grateful to know her yeah, and you know what? It drives me crazy, too, when I see people from our movement give her shit on Twitter and Facebook. It does, because I see it. I see it from good people, but they go too far. They don't get the system. They don't uh, give her the benefit of the doubt. And it's like, you know what? I've seen her over and over do the right thing. And, and what you're saying is 100% correct. People, if you support this cannabis reform movement, you got to support Shalene Title. You're crazy. Someone, someone got on there yesterday on Twitter, and it was like, she's a prohibitionist it's like are you <laughs> kidding me that is so false it's not even funny and that's exactly what i said i said that's a false statement she is not a prohibitionist that's like she's the opposite of a pro- prohibitionist
2: so, yeah i mean she was the uh, i think one of the chapter heads at students for sensible drug policy which is an excellent organization uh she worked uh on behalf of various activist organizations for five or ten years, not only before Question 4 was passed, but before I think even uh, uh, Decrim happened back in 2008. They also give
0: her a crap about that, too, because she she worked for at one point for law enforcement. That's where she worked most, probably the longest in nonprofit. It was Law Enforcement Against Prohibition at LEAP, which is a local group. I love them. I think they're awesome. Um, it's funny how people get really weird about certain things. And uh, it's, you know, she is awesome. Uh, She is not a prohibitionist. Thank God we have her. If we didn't have her, you can imagine what we'd be right now. We'd be screwed. We would have been so screwed.
2: Oh, without a doubt. And the thing is, it's not, I think what you were saying earlier strikes true, which is that people oftentimes miss the nuance of what regulation is. They, They think that, the politics is is this place where if you have a good idea that's enough for for it to win right and the reality yeah the reality is that there's so much nuance to the political process it's this intangible kind of ethereal beast that does its own thing and you just have to have enough you have to have people. the back
0: of it it's hard to do too because like you know i'm gonna say it like you know, I mentioned this organization, and I'm not digging them at all, all right? Masked normal. I was the president. I was on their board for 10 years. For, a, I don't know, for a number of years, I got a lot of things done that I wanted to get done. But at a certain point, I couldn't get things done. And I was the, I was the president of the organization. I was the one doing all the work and the fundraising, and like a lot of it, not everything, but you know what I'm saying? And I couldn't get things done. And it's really, you become like a politician. Like, that's the way I felt. Like, I was like a politician trying to get people to, and at a certain point, I got really aggravated. I couldn't handle it anymore. (laughs) You know, like, I look at her, and I'm like, you know, she's not doing it the way I would do it, but you know what? She's more effective than the way I would do it. You know, like, sometimes just going off. Like, that's why I have a show. I can do that here. That's, That's what I'm good at, right? But it's not good when you're on a board To be like I am on this show, you know what I'm saying? It's like it. You got to play the game. You got to play the part because when you're sitting next to four other people and they're against you, and it's a four to one vote, maybe you should vote with them to try to get on the next vote to get them closer. Maybe you shouldn't bash them. You know, so you have to play the game. It's obvious. It's politics. So I, I think a lot of people miss that. They think that she should just rail against the other four every time. And it's like, sometimes I want her to rail against the other four, but it may not be the best idea, you know, because some of those four have come over and done things for our cause and our side. And I hammer them all the time on Twitter. You know, if you watch my Twitter, I am pretty mean to uh, the other commissioners.
2: Yeah, and it's it's what I was going to lead up to earlier, which is that it's... It's really just a matter of recognizing that you can get more flies with honey.
0: That's right.
2: Put it in the language of my grandmother.
0: It's true. It, it's true. It be, and sometimes you have to be the, you kind of carry the big stick and, and, and sometimes yeah. you got to be that guy or that woman, but it's better not to be. It it, it makes it a lot easier if you, you can do what you're saying, uh, you know, just, just do it with sweetness. <laughs> and real cha- we've seen
2: the real change happen if if, the, if for example um, commissioner title had tried that approach and it hadn't worked you know right. and every single vote was like the uh, host community agreement vote where she was right on the money but got outvoted, I might not be as optimistic right. but I've seen policy bad yeah. policy change and I've seen other commissioners who are prohibitionists you got to realize exactly
0: uh, uh, the other four, four the are prohibitionists, years. basically. Right. I mean, let's be frank, they're pretty close to being prohibitionists, all four of them. Yeah.
2: And she's gotten them, and not just her, the community deserves a lot of credit for right. going to the public comment sessions, but because of the discussions that Commissioner Title was willing to start, we've seen positive change on policy that has directly benefited the community, whether it be the micro-business delivery endorsements, the expedited priority for different classes of licenses, or even um, there's municipal guidance that explicitly states that... Uh, local cities and towns can have uh, equity priority periods, right? And so all of those things have made a real world impact and they only happen because people with the savvy knowledge to get through that subtle political process are willing to fight on behalf of the community.
0: That's right. When you have four prohibitionists sitting next to you and they can't help but respect you and like you, you might win some votes. And that's, I think, what's been happening sometimes. And... I give Shalene so much credit for it because I know I wouldn't have the patience. That's why I'm here. That's why I do what I do. I can throw bombs and be the bomb thrower and uh, they can know that that guy's here and, and, and I'm ready to go nuts if, if need be and, and our community should be like that. But you shouldn't be going nuts on Shalene Title. That's, that's all I'm saying. I want to thank you so much for calling in Grant Smith. Thank you for doing everything you do.
2: Oh, Mike, Mike, I'm so grateful not only for the opportunity to have this awesome chat tonight, but for just being able to be a part of the work that you're doing and the causes that you're willing to stand behind. It's a full-time thing, as you said, and no one does it better than you, in my opinion. So thank you, Mike.
0: Thank you. And uh, to leave it with revolutionary clinics, there is a boycott. We want to make sure we mention that again. Revolutionary clinics in Cambridge and uh, Somerville i'm recommending the boycott grant is that was what friday was about is to get them to drop this stupid lawsuit against the city of cambridge um do you have do you think that like what comes next what's is there anything going to happen next what do you think
2: uh yeah so uh absolutely support the boycott uh i will try to keep people in the loop going forward if we're going to do further boycotts uh stand outside uh... their location as the weather uh, improves etc uh... but in terms of how this is going to play out the, uh... practical reality is that so the injunction against the priority period was denied which is great now that uh, denial gets appealed to the state appeals court that probably takes a month or two if they lose that appeal that's another great sign then the case itself will start and uh... the city of cambridge and the dispensaries will fight back and forth and at the end of the case If the judge rules in favor of the city of Cambridge, that means that priority periods up to two years for equity applicants are going to be legal statewide, which would be huge.
0: That's awesome. Great work. Thank you for the update. Thank you for everything, Grant Smith.
2: Thank you, Mike. I hope you uh, drive safe out there and enjoy the rest of your night.
0: You too. Thanks. Thanks. We're the Young Jerks. Great phone call from Grant Smith. We uh, had on the phone earlier Hassan. Uh, Licky, lucky excuse me. Uh, she's running for US Congress district Four, uh, Joe Kennedy seat We're also taking phone calls. We're just about done But we'll take quick phone calls if you have them 617 702 2542 a couple people did just uh, call in when Grant was uh, on the line So if you want to get your call in call in now 617 702 2542 is the phone number I'm, I'm Mike Crawford the young jerks. I want to remind everyone uh, there are things you can do to support the show. We really appreciate you listening, sharing, um, but we also like uh, when you follow us on our, all our social media, at the Young Jerks on Facebook, we also have a Facebook group. Make sure you're a part of our Facebook group. We share a lot of uh, content there. There's a great community there as well. They also share links. Um, just give us a search on facebook you'll find our group as well we have a facebook page obviously but the group a lot of action there Uh, i also want to uh, mention our website midnightmass.substack.com you can subscribe there please put your email in we uh, put out a lot of stories we have a lot of uh, different contributors that were coming online as well with that Uh, really happy about that website it's an email list as well midnightmass.substack.com we have another call who's on the phone this is uh, john c spencer Hey Chauncey, what's up, man?
3: Hey, I'm all right. I'm all right. I had a call and I heard you guys were were talking. Uh, Grant said some wonderful things about me, uh, a title, and and uh, so did you. Um, yeah, and I have nothing but the the, the highest um, you know comments for her. Um, and and uh, but one thing we must be certain to do is always, always, always question uh, the um, the policies that that people make. Um, and because if we do begin to idolize folks, then we don't become as critical as we need to as moving forward. But one interesting point that you did say was that we need to be aware that they're going to be doing other appointments and there needs to be a more diverse, uh, set of folks coming into that space.
0: How about some black people? Seriously. How about some black males? I mean, like you, how how about you, Chauncey? How about we put you on that?
3: (laughs) Slow down. uh, I I know you're an applicant,
0: but yeah go ahead,
3: yeah, I need to be on the advisory board if anything uh, it seems like that's where all the applicants are at so so um so yeah 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 we we, we definitely need a little bit more of a diversity uh in, in the space there and that that um, on that commission, and they don't necessarily have to be black, they just need to to um you know uh support what we're we're looking for them to support, you know and have a diverse set of ideas and and not be prohibitionist like the other four. Um, or three, or I'm not exactly sure how to, to quantify, quantify that or quote uh, the, the Hoffman. Um, uh, <laughs> Hoffman <person>. guy. <laughs> he, he, excuse me, I shouldn't say that. He, I'm pretty sure he's a nice guy. No, he's a good
0: um, guy, but, you know, we don't always agree on everything.
3: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that we, um, you know, continue to to question uh, the policies that come out of there and, and um, be critical and push for everything that is necessary for us to have. We know what we need, and we need to push um, and and prod. And you know, again, you know, these these folks are public officials, and they need to be held accountable, and they need to to hear uh, criticism. And so I think she, I think people like uh, Commissioner Title have a tough skin. You know, um, she's going to hear a lot from me very shortly here, regards to a few policies that I've rolled out. So I, I think, um, you know, I'm sure she'll welcome that, you know, because I can imagine she must be isolated in that, that uh, in, in, you know, sitting there with other prohibitionists. She might not have the type of synergistic, you know, set of ideas that, that should come from other counterparts in that space. You know, uh, what she's going to keep hearing is no, 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 where she has to be the lone person trying to, to push forward the policy of the entire state. You know, she doesn't have all the ideas. You know, there should be four more other people up there with ideas. That's right. And, um, and so it has to come from the bottom up. And when she hears us complaining about certain things, I'm sure she'll be able to adopt them and, and bring them on board. And we can work with her and, and push other uh, counterparts to do exactly the same thing or see, see um, you know, see the light.
0: What are some of the policies you're looking to have, you know, that you brought well, up? Well,
3: definitely. Definitely. We have um, we're losing economic empowerment in, in uh, these um, municipalities. You know, we, we watch what happened in Boston. Uh, they, they stole our priority and we need to um, have that readdressed. You know, uh, I don't think that having this, this fake uh, social equity um, uh, program coming out of Boston is, is adequate. We know currently that there are investors uh, uh, basically preying on people in the city of Boston and use them as tokens now. You know, so yeah, we we, we just lost our our priority. You know, um, what we what we would like to see is a little bit more of a forceful um, uh, advocacy on the part of the CCC. They should have been advocating for our priority to uh, stay. You know, because. That's what happened at the beginning when they first launched the um, the program. It was supposed to be for you know economic empowerment applicants for the first couple of months. But the Miss Valley's they didn't do anything. They didn't give us our our host community agreements, and then now it seems like the the CCC doesn't even care that they didn't do anything. You know, so I don't know. I think let me ask you that that
0: because I I agree with you. But how do they? It's kind of like the genie's already out of the bottle. How do they? How do they go back and? Fix that, change that.
3: Well, it's it's not out of the bottle yet. Um, although in well, some didn't places, pass the in
0: some places, maybe not in Boston, but you you know what I mean? Like a lot, like Haverhill, a lot of other towns and cities have already gone forward. So, so I they, guess, they uh,
3: only, go ahead. yeah. They, I mean, the, 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 there's a limit um, on how many. The, the the there's a bottom limit on how many of these establishments they can have. You know, there is no top limit. You know, so they can go back and, and issue uh, host committee agreements for um, for these establishments. You know, it's only 20, it's supposed to be 20% of liquor um, uh, stores in a, a, a municipality. So there's, that's just the bottom limit. That's not the top limit. So they can go back, address that. But I think this needs to be done on the, the uh, uh, state level. So hopefully we can gather folks together and uh, make a different push or, or a more concerted push to have uh, economic empowerment applicants or op- even open up economic empowerment, uh, uh, registration again, uh, those types of things, you know, and, and yeah. be more inclusive people of color, make sure that they are they're truly included. And I, I don't mean tokens either, you know, so there's, mm-hmm. there's there several things that we need to do, but, you know, having funds and, and, and just being a little bit more deliberate and put the people who have been affected by the war on drugs, black and brown people who have been affected by war on drugs first. And then, then, then you can always, always, read, you know, uh, uh, um uh, look at um, how to include uh, corporate folks or or um, small um, businesses, because you know we, we do know that, that that the war on drugs had hurt us, uh, devastated our, our pockets, devastated our communities. We don't have the, the ability to to um, to uh, utilize the political capital to get where we need to get. So we do need a CCC, people like that to to help us usher in our, our businesses, because we're fighting against a, a, you know we're fighting against um, people actually some of us that look just like us who are black and brown they don't want us to, to succeed either, they they're you know they're political folks, they're they're you know former politicians they're they're uh, uh, sheriffs they're they con- d- deeply connected to the municipalities uh, uh you know into the, the, the local government. And they're the ones who want to just, you know, just snatch up these dispensaries uh, um, and keep the people out, the smaller folks out. So, but I'm just going on. But, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't have a, a grand unified theory for cannabis right now as we speak. But hopefully I'll, I'll have one in the next few days.
0: <laughs> awesome. I, I got uh, one last question for you because you posted a story about uh, a dispensary applicant. In, this, in uh, the city of Boston, I think it was Roslindale, the neighborhood of Roslindale, um, that had uh, a, Boston, a former Boston police officer on payroll.
3: Superintendent.
0: Yep, superintendent. So, so a high-ranking person from the Boston Police Department on payroll, former. And uh, they also had uh, been appointed by Mayor Walsh at one point for some kind of government position. And they also had, uh, I call it the trifecta. <laughs> yep. And they also had what almost every applicant in Boston had uh, that seemed to make any progress in Boston. They had a guy named Michael Ross, who, who was a good guy, uh, former uh, Boston City Councilor Michael Ross, who ran for mayor a few years back. Uh, Michael Ross is now working for a big law firm, and he seems to represent all of the cannabis applicants in the city of Boston with major money and seems to get them meetings right away, um, but now that's supposedly changed with this new, you know, bo- this new board that's going to oversee oversee it. Do you think that that applicant's still going to get fast tracked? What do you think?
3: Uh, good question. You know, um, I, I don't know. Is, is Michael Ross going to be walking back into the boardroom? Um, you know, meeting with the cannabis control board. Uh, I, I I don't know. You know, because I used to spend a good amount of time sitting there in the, in the lobby waiting for. You know, just to speak with the the, the the lower level staff of any city councilman, and I'd watch Michael Ross just walk right in, stroll right by, not even checking at the front desk. You know, <laughs> so I, I know that um, that there was an advantage that that people like him had. and I believe his law firm is uh, Prince Lobel That's right, it is. You know, it's it, it, exactly yeah, who it yeah, is. You know, Prince Loebell, which yeah, is one
0: of the highest paid law firms. In this in Massachusetts in Boston if not like the you know a country it's like one of the top law firms
3: yeah you know I I, I, I remember this guy talking uh, at one of the cannabis hearings and he was given he was allowed to do a full presentation um, and he, I think he referred to principal Bell as, uh, as a black-owned uh, minority-owned uh, company, but, you know, I, I happened to just scroll on the page, and I looked, and I saw the 30 partners, uh, there was only one black person that was, I think, um, was Prince himself, you know? <laughs> I'm like, are you serious? Is this is a black law firm, you know? And, yeah, anyhow, uh, that was his, his uh, uh, excuse, I believe, for trying to, to um, steal away uh, equity or economic empowerment priority status. You know, it's like, I'm not, you know, basically, I work for a black law firm, so I can't be doing anything yeah. wrong here. You know, so, uh, yeah. He must yeah. be
0: doing everything for free then. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he must exactly. be doing it all for pro bono. He must be not charging yeah. top, top Prince Lobel fees.
3: Yeah, although, although his, his uh, clients are working against and competing against economic empowerment applicants. There you go. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, I, I guess the original question was, um, uh, uh, you know, will that continue to happen? Um, I, I, that's a good question. We we need to make sure that there's transparency, lack of a uh, uh, conflict of interest in in that the, the body that the mayor uh, puts together, you know, and hopefully we're going to have some input. We're going to have uh, a lot of folks that that uh, understand these systems and and how these things get assembled. Have them uh, do some input, and uh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're hoping. We're hoping, but you know, I'm I'm a novice at, at city government. I don't know uh how it works uh, you know as well as some of the other folks who have been there but we need to make sure those are the ones that we we watch closely (laughs) because they're the ones who are are buying the dispensaries who are working you know who are who are have their hands in the the cookie jar we will um yeah
0: yeah we will definitely be watching i want to thank you for calling in chauncey anything else you want to leave us with uh
3: no 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 you know I, i mean here's one other little point um, you know, I, I just posted a little while ago that that there, there, you know, there's a lot of secret talk about a lawsuit that's going to be happening in the city of Boston. You know, um, it's kind of the opposite of the the uh, one in Cambridge. You know, um, a lot of businesses are talking about suing because of the Boston City Ordinance. Uh, they don't. No one wants to be the first. You know, so some of them have called me and said, so "How do you feel about it?" You know, because I guess no one wants to seem as if they're suing against equity, right? And no one wants the same thing that happened to Rev Rev Clinics, sure. You know? And it's it's unfortunate that it kind of puts people in this strange situation where the EEs are are you know screwed, mm-hmm. and then you have um, everyone else. who's actually a lot of people have been screwed. You know, the social equity applicants have been screwed. No one has any clarity on how this is going to happen. People has been waiting over a year and a half, going the better part of two years. And so, um, yeah, that's that's something to, to discuss. People need to figure out what, what's gonna, um, what, what this city is going to look like in this, this cannabis space. You know, it's unfortunate that some folks had weighed in on this and didn't know what they were doing. The folks like MRCC, and then there were folks like you know, um, you know these other other uh, state reps who are taking money from cannabis companies, and then there are you know the Prince Lobels and and others who had had had, had way too much influence on creating that ordinance. And now this is pure chaos, you know. And things you know, whole entire parts of it were removed days before the ordinance was passed. You know, so it's it's a it's a big mess. It's a huge mess, and and it's not gonna it's not gonna die silently. It's gonna so be interesting to
0: see what happens and in the city be... of Boston. Thank you so much, Chauncey, for calling in. all right, all right no problem. Talk to you later. You too. Right. We're the Young Jerks. We're here every Sunday at five PM. A little, sometimes a little later. We we, you know, we got a busy show. We try to work everything in and, and get it right. And this week, he was trying to get uh, the first caller on the line. That was the The big hangout, but we did it. We've had a great show so far. Some good calls. Um, We're about to wrap it up, but you know what? If you do want to call in, because people, the phone's been ringing off the hook. Call in right now before we before we hang it up and give us a really quick message six one seven seven zero two two five four two. Can can I can't even talk today. What am I trying to say? Contain your thoughts, like. Call in and be ready to speak your mind quickly. There we go. That was good. That was. That was good. Wow. I'm doing a lot today. I'm watching myself on camera and I see my hands going everywhere. I don't know if I, anyone else has I that. I like issue. it. I you like do? it. Yeah. Nice, nice and dynamic. vision. dynamic? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. 617 <laughs> if you want to call in. Here we go. We got another call. All right. Who's on the line? Hello? Hi. Who's this?
4: Oh, this is a Dan Scotland from the I Am Cannabis Sativa podcast.
0: Wow. I know you. I think this is my, is this your first time calling in live to our show?
4: Um, I, I believe I called in during the summer when um, I think Jim, who organized um, question four. Oh, that's so, right. Yeah. I think
0: So it's the second yeah. time. Okay. What's up, Dan? Yeah. I, I love that you call. You've got your uh, It's Cannabis, say that again, It's Cannabis Sativa
4: podcast. I screwed up. I am cannabis
0: sativa. I, I am cannabis sativa. <laughs> Thank you.
4: So um yeah I, I I know you I know you you're you're pretty busy but um just just one quick note um I, I, I do a lot of research on cannabis programs both adult use and medical around the country and Arizona like um two like they legalized I want to say two years before Massachusetts. And then have the dispensaries open. I think maybe a year or two before us. Right. And the, their their population is comparable to Massachusetts. They have over a hundred dispensaries, although although they don't have like, like like the homegrown sort of limited for the patients. But they their ounces are regularly like one eighty and yeah. half ounces and half ounces are like ninety or a so hundred. It's, it's, it's
0: just it's like Maine, similar. Yeah. Yeah. Similar prices, at least. And where is this, Oklahoma or Nevada,
4: where? Arizona.
0: Arizona, okay. Because I've seen Oklahoma and Nevada have been kicking butt, too. It's like, where are we? You know what I mean? It's like, it's surprising to see uh, some of these states that you just would not expect, and they're booming, and they, some of them you know, move forward at the same time we did. It's so true. It's It's, it's ridiculous how far behind we are in Massachusetts at this point.
4: Um, yeah. And like the, the last thing I'll leave off is like, do you like do the commissioners, do the commissioners do their research in other states? Do they, like, if I was a commissioner at the, if I I was anyone besides commissioner title, like I would feel ashamed of the work I've done over the past few years. Like I would be like, why are these other states eating our lunch? Why, why aren't we trying to catch up? And, you know, I guess that was the last thing I want to say, but yeah.
0: It's a good point. And you know what? I don't think they are ashamed. I think that might be part of the problem because that's a great point. And you know what? I think part of the problem, they don't even listen to a show like this. Like, I I know that Chalene does. And I'm not saying Chalene listens to every show, but I know that Chalene pays attention to what we're doing and and checks in. But I don't think any of the other four do. And I don't think that they actually give a crap about what our community is saying, Uh, except when they show up for the day they show up. And any time the Boston Globe or their larger press – contacts them but even with that like i just i think you made a very good valid point and i agree 100 percent. thank you for calling dan
4: thank you for having me mike
0: and uh your podcast again is i am cannabis sativa you can find it on anchor itunes spotify everywhere right
4: yeah that's correct
0: that's perfect thank you so much dan
4: thank you Bye.
0: Right. good night we're the young jerks and i think we're out of here the phone's been ringing off the hook, but you know what? Save it for next time. 617-702-2542. Put it in your phone and save it for later. Next Sunday at 5 p.m. We'll be back, I think. I think. Yeah, we should be. We, we don't know who's the guest yet, but we'll work on it. We'll figure something out. We haven't taken off a show in a while. Oh, We're yeah. like on a roll. Yeah. yeah? Yeah. We maybe take off Christmas weekend. We'll see. That'd be a good one. We'll take a look. <laughs> but uh, we, we hope to be back next Sunday. But Sunday's 5 p.m., that's that's our time. We don't even know what the score of the Patriots game is. We don't have a phone. I'm, you know, we don't we don't have a TV here. We we're just isolated. We're just focused on you in this show. That's how dedicated we are. So please listen, support us, share it, send your friends, invite your friends, and definitely follow us on social media at the Young Jerks on Twitter, at the Young Jerks on Facebook, like our Facebook group, The Young Jerks, uh, join it actually. And definitely, midnightmass.substack.com. And if you want to send us money, you can subscribe and become a full subscriber there as well. Or anchor.fm slash theyoungjerks. There's two different ways you can kick in some money a little bit if you really want to go the extra while for us. We do appreciate all of our supporters, uh, people who subscribe, and especially folks that give us a little bit of money each month. That is helping us big time. Uh, again, Mike Crawford checking out Young Jerks. We keep doing the show because of our community because of the phone calls because of you i swear to god we would not be doing this show we we have almost given up so many times and for once in the last like months it's not on my mind giving up anymore and it really is because of you we're really positive there's a lot of challenges we talk about them every week on the show but we're going to continue doing it because of this community because of the love and support we get because of the phone calls so thank you. I'll see you next week, Mike Crawford. I want to thank Murphy. I want to thank Chauncey for calling in. I want to thank uh, Grant Smith for calling in. I want to thank Dan for calling in. I am Cannabis Sativa. And I especially want to thank our first guest caller on the show, uh, Isan Leckie, who's running for U.S. Congress, District 4. Check her out. She's starting a movement. I can't wait to meet her in purpose. And, 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 and uh, I can't wait to meet her in person. I was so excited to have her on the show today, and I still enjoyed the phone call. But I have to admit, I was a little bummed that she couldn't make it in. But it happens; she had, you know, she had important things to do in the district in Hopkinton. But next time, we can't wait to to actually meet her in person. We'll get her in here. Yeah, so check her out at Isane for Congress on Facebook. She's also on Twitter. Like her, follow her, share her stuff. She's starting a a movement. Check out her her website as well. If you want to kick in money, join her movement. I think she'd be great in Congress. I can't wait to to see her campaign develop over the next months. And again, Mike Crawford checking out. We'll see you next Sunday, 5 p.m. Hey, it's Jeff from Brennan's Smoke Shop, and I wanted to thank Governor Baker personally for proving the theory
2: that the pen is mightier than the sword. With one vicious swing of his mighty sword... (laughs) He cut down all of the tobacco industry's competition in the Commonwealth, forcing consumers (laughs) to the black market and gray market. The very market, from what I understand, is making people sick. I'd also like to give the vape industry a big round of applause. Welcome to the show, vape industry. (laughs) Lawyer up.